Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about lime or calcium carbonate. And I'm really excited to discuss this too because we have done a lot of lime applications over the years and we've screwed it up a bunch too. So we're going to talk about our mistakes and how you can avoid wasting thousands of dollars on your farm like we did. How do you lime properly? We're going to get into that today. If you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Suppose they need to call it X now, huh, Darren, instead of Twitter, but... Yeah. <laughs> There's we'll a rebranding there. We'll see how long that stays. All right. So anyway, lime. It's calcium carbonate. So I want to first tell you what happens in your soil and why this product works the way that it does. But before we get into that, let's step over to human health for just a second. If you've got excess acid in your stomach, what do you take for medicine? Most likely you're going to take Tums or something like that. What is that? It's calcium carbonate. It's lime. It's the exact same stuff we are we are talking about for fields. So let's talk about why it works. What acid really means is there's a lot of hydrogen. So the more hydrogen you have, the more acidic your soil, or in my example of human health, the more acidic your stomach is. So the more hydrogen there is, the lower the pH will be. So in your soil, for example, usually we're talking about, ideally, we'd like to see that soil pH in the sixes somewhere. I mean, love to have it 6.3 to 6.8. Most crops will be fine somewhere in the sixes, but there are exceptions. For example, alfalfa, if you have a six pH, I can promise you, you are not even coming close to your potential on that alfalfa crop, you need that pH closer to 7. Then you got other crops that, you know, it really doesn't make any difference. If you're at a 6, you're at a 7, whatever, they're fine. So you need to understand your crop, first of all. But anyway, the way that this lime thing works is if there's an acid soil, let's just say, for example, you got a 5.5 pH and you go, oh, I want to get this up into the 6s. Okay, you use lime. Here's what actually happens when you put the lime out there. Again, it's calcium carbonate. So the calcium carbonate reacts with the hydrogen in the soil, and it ends up creating three things. Number one is water. Okay, great for your plants. Number two is carbon dioxide. And I realize you might say, oh my gosh, we're going to release a whole bunch of carbon dioxide. But I want you to think about this for just a second. There's not like this fast an instantaneous release of carbon dioxide. It's very slow over probably three years of time. And almost all of it is when there's enough heat, which means you're going to have crop growth. And just think about what do plants breathe in? They breathe in carbon dioxide. So if there's a tiny, tiny little bit that's coming from the soil in season while your crop is growing, there's a very high probability the crop's going to absorb most of that, and then it's going to turn the gas into oxygen 
net. So in other words, it breathes in carbon dioxide, releases oxygen. Okay, so we've got water. When you put lime in an acid soil, you've got water, you've got carbon dioxide, and then the other thing is just more calcium in your soil. We talk all the time about just simply adding calcium to your soil to give your soil better porosity and improve your drainage. Calcium is also not, not, it's not only one of the most important, if not the most important element in the soil, but it's one of the most important elements in your plant. And that doesn't get talked about enough. Unless we have Dick Goff on the show, of course, and he's talking all the time about the importance of calcium in plants, just like we talk about the importance of calcium in human beings, in livestock. Calcium is tremendously important in plants as well. So anyway, the overall result, when you put lime in the soil, is three good things for crop production. So that's awesome. Nothing bad is happening. And yeah, if anybody ever gets worried about, oh, there's some lime piles out in the field, and I don't, we don't know if that's the right thing environmentally. Um, look, it's the same thing as Tums. I mean, so the next time you have an acid stomach, if you want to just go out to a pile of lime, <laughs> you're going to get the same stuff, okay? So that's the first thing. When we talk about then how much do you need, it's really a factor of how heavy your soil is, which again comes back to the reason why we talk so much about cation exchange capacity and how we want to know that number. I don't just want to know and have you tell me, oh, I have heavy soil or I have light soil. That gives us a general idea, but I'd like to know exactly where are we at. So if I've got a five cation exchange capacity or I have a 25 cation exchange capacity, it'll make a tremendous amount of difference in the amount of lime we need. So if I've got a light soil, it only takes a little bit of lime, and I could raise my 5.5 pH in my example up into the 6s. If I've got a 25 CEC, I'm going to need a bunch more lime to get that pH raised to the exact same level. Okay? So here's the other factor. And this is the most important thing I want you to get out of today's discussion. So hopefully... You learn a bunch, or at least you get refreshed on a whole bunch of things today about Lyme. But this is number one. Make absolutely sure you are putting the Lyme where it needs to go. And this is how we screwed it up on our own farm. We took zones, and a lot of people talk about zones, and oh, zones are great and everything. Well, sure, small zones are great. Great big zones that are 10, 15, 20, 25 acres, they are not great. There's too much variance in there, I will almost guarantee you. So our advice to you before you lime is to always, and I do mean always, have small grids or zones. And I'm talking one acre. And you might say, oh my gosh, that's way over the top and everything else. Well, let me just tell you a story. So on our farm, when we didn't have one acre grids, we had these big zones, we limed in the wrong areas. And what that did is we wasted money in the lime, number one, because we didn't need it. Number two, our yields went down. And number three, in order to fix it, we had to put elemental sulfur out. So it was waste money, lost money, waste money. Um, that doesn't sound very good, does it? So literally, we wasted hundreds of dollars an acre. Hundreds. And instead, we could have just pulled a $10 or $12 soil test. So please do more soil testing before you lime so you know what you're doing. We'll talk more about lime right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about lime. If you're looking for a fix for low pH soil, lime has been the go-to for so many farmers. Adding more calcium has helped bring that pH up. We're going to talk about how to do it, how to get the best results on today's program. And one of the resources we'll turn to, we'll start with Kevin Matthews out in North Carolina, works with the Extreme Ag Group and farms out there. And and is blessed with some variable soils on his farm, much like we are. How you doing, Kevin? Doing fine, sir. Hope you guys are. You know, it is a blessing having these uh, variable soils, isn't it? You get to learn lots of different things. Yeah, I mean, you know, you mess one up, and you get the other one right. Then you got to figure out what you did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly right. Well, you don't always have to just figure out what's wrong. You have to figure out, well, man, what did I do right over here? Why did why did something work? But, you know, when it comes to super low pH soil, I know there are some crops that can tolerate it better better than others. Brad had mentioned alfalfa, that alfalfa just can't tolerate that at all. Uh, but, you know, you still have better nutrient availability in general, getting things back towards a more neutral pH, maybe slightly acidic. Do you have a pH you shoot for on your farm, or is there a range that you say, if I, as long as I'm in this range, I really don't mess with it? Yeah, we really like, you know, we used to think, oddly, that we wanted our corn at 5.8, and we wanted our soybeans about 6.5, but as, you know, we've learned more and focused more on the correct lime source, We've learned that with the correct lime source, the 6.5 is is just an ideal. Just it's synergy. It just makes so much synergy with all the other nutrients there. And so the correct lime source is what's really been a game changer for us. 
All right. So when you talk about that, what was it for you? I mean, there's dolomitic lime that has lots of magnesium in it. There's calcitic lime. And then, of course, there's all different grades of lime out there. There's a lot of difference in lime products. Absolutely. And, you know, the one thing we learned is the lime quarry that's closest to you, that's the cheapest freight, the cheapest lime, is normally not the lime that you need on your farm. Because that's what to what your what's at your neighbors and so we we was all domatic lime that's the only thing he used it was easy to get it was up on the mountains and cheap abundance of it but um yeah you bring the ph up but it just kept bringing that magnesium up and you know that red clay you've seen our fields and it, it made really nice bricks but it sure didn't make good fertile soils for roots to grow yeah, it's it's interesting, and I, I know talking to some folks, we'll get questions from all over. Uh, they'll just look at price point and don't fall into that game. And I, I think you bring up a great point here, Kevin. Get an analysis of that lime and see what's in there, and see what other uh, side effects or other consequences it'll have by adding that to your soil. Yep, absolutely. Ours, we get it uh, four hours away. It's uh, freight's a good little bit, but. Um, we get it off the Atlantic Ocean. It's, I, I accuse them of being ground-up seashells, but very high calcium. But my goodness, you know, you get some rain on that stuff, and, and instead of having to let it dry out, you can put it in a spreader truck, and it'll still spread. So the spreadability of it is just phenomenally nice. And, um, and it's addressing that calcium problem that we have. So you just got to know what your problems are. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and for some, uh, dolomitic lime is going to be the exact source they need for, for Kevin already fighting some high magnesium in some of those areas. Uh, that that was not the right source for him. So good good advice there, Kevin. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being on today. Really appreciate you. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all helping all of us guys out. Well, we're trying to a little bit here, talking about lime and fixing those low pH soils. We got Daryl up in Michigan, maybe the opposite situation of what Kevin was facing. Daryl, how you doing? I'm doing well, uh, Darren, and yourself? Well, pretty good. And I, I was listening to Kevin, and he was talking about, man, you don't want to have too much magnesium in that lime. And I was thinking about some of our soils that are pretty high in mag already. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, down in that part of the farm, it would be the case. But we do have some spots that are low in magnesium. Uh, how about for you up in Michigan? Our mag levels are actually pretty good. We, on my farm personally, I know I had a few spots that um, just real small areas, you know, a four-acre grid here, here and there, and we would spread dolomitic lime on that to get those mag levels up. But the majority of what's used around here is calcitic, um, just because our mag levels are so good. You know, one of the challenges, Daryl, that we hear from growers is, okay, on ground that I own and I know I'm going to have it for the next few years, I'm going to get the full benefit of lime. How do you work with with renters and that type of relationship to know, uh, okay, we need lime out here. Is that something that you feel is a landlord responsibility or does it deserve a longer term contract with tenants? Well, I'm I'm actually a landlord now, <laughs> so um, and the guys that farm my farm, I told them to farm it just like it was their ground because they're going to have it until either they don't farm anymore or I'm dead and gone. So um, from that decision, they they have paid for it because they know they're going to have the ground long term and and uh, made that investment. 
You know, that is a big deal. That is a really big deal for, for farmers that we talk to so often. I, I want to make changes here, but I don't know uh, how things are going to go. And, and just to have that kind of commitment from a landlord is, is a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, I've told them the same thing regarding tile. I know how important tile is, and if we got spots that need to be fixed, let's get them fixed. Get the, the tile guy, get us on the list and get the tile guy in there. It's the same thing. They've went out and and uh, put down a lot of uh, phosphorus on the soils. My soils were a little bit low on that. So, I mean, they have made the investment, and, and I knew by having these guys farm my ground that it was going to be in good as if not better shape than when I farmed it. Yeah, that's, that is uh, pretty rewarding to have people take care of your land and try and carry on what you're trying to get done. And like you say, uh, I mean, nobody's getting handed the perfect everything. Uh, things are going to change. And, of course, every time you grow a crop, it's pulling nutrients out. So uh, there's always that debate about how you do it and how you get stuff yeah. back out there. Yeah, and and they've had phenomenal yields. since they, they farm my ground for five years now. And the first couple of years, you know, it was just weather-related. But the last couple – Things have just looked fantastic with their management skills and, and everything. So we're I'm pretty fortunate. All right. So we get a lot of farmers on the show, Daryl. And uh, now to be on the other side of that where you're handing it off here, getting getting somebody else getting going on the farming, what's it like on the other side? Well, financially, it's probably been better off for me. Um, I had farmed you know, since I was 12 years old, just like you guys growing up on the tractors and stuff and driving tractor. And I did it until about five years ago when my brother that I farmed with passed away. And finally, I just decided, you know, I I didn't want to do it anymore. And so I thought it was going to be a really tough decision, but it really wasn't. And the, the stress levels and everything just I'm not going to say they went away, but I don't have to worry about the farm anymore. I know it's in good hands, and like I like I said earlier, the, the farmers that I have farming my ground um, take care of it just like it was their ground. You know, we had uh, some landlords that farmed themselves, and it was always fun talking to them and, and just trying to learn, okay, tell me about this, and, and what have you done in this area, and how have you been a little more successful? Do you still look at soil tests? Do you still chat about crop planting decisions? How, how involved can you be? I, I, I've seen the soil tests. They test every year, and they're kind of doing it in zones. We have a, they have a lab that comes out and does it. And so, you know, um, I know they're, like I say, if, if something needs to be done, they're right on top of it, taking care of it in the fall. Um, and a couple of years ago, we had a lot of um, they sold the corn off for silage, and so they had manure applied in the fall and knifed in. And um, I don't know what the what the levels have been since then, but I know the following year they had probably some of the best corn that we ever had on our farm come off. So, yeah, that really helps. It uh, it's a nice yeah. way to transition things. We see awesome. I just I just gotta let these guys do their thing here, and it's gonna work That's out exact, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job picking good uh, good tenants to to carry forward what you're doing yeah. there on your land. Yeah. We're talking with Daryl up in Michigan. Daryl, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, Darren. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Talking about Lyme on today's program, but our phone lines are open as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have an agronomic question or you want to talk about your Lyme strategy on your farm, you can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back.
The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just talking about lime or calcium carbonate for your soil. If you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here, but before we do, I just had a couple other things that I wanted to mention on lime. First of all, the source we've been using has been water treatment lime. And I don't care what source you use exactly, but I want you to make sure you're testing it, whatever source it is, and then you know what you're putting on your ground. For example, with our water treatment lime, we get a whole bunch of iron and manganese in there that is actually great for our soil up to a certain point. 
Okay, so you can overdo it on anything. I at least want to know what I'm putting out there. So then I, well, like in our case, it saved us money on applying zinc and manganese and some other nutrients too that are in there. Uh, Sugar beet lime, for example, a lot of people use sugar beet lime as we go a little bit to the north of us. And there is a tremendous amount of phosphorus in there many times. So a lot of times the year after you've put on sugar beet lime, you don't even need any extra phosphorus for your crop. So it's just one of those things where, hey, it could save you some money. And then also, you know, really what's going on in your field. You know what you're putting out there and you can make adjustments accordingly. All right. Beyond that, I I would just say lime breaks down slowly, but it's really going to vary. The smaller the particle size, the quicker things are going to break down and the more effectively you're you're going to raise that pH. So you want to look at the fineness of the lime. That is tremendously important. But in terms of just how quick does that break down, well, a lot of people will talk about three years. Okay, so maybe a third the first year, a third the second year, a third the third year. I think we all know, though, Everything on the farm is not equal from one field to the next, one farm to the next, one state to the next, one country to the next. Like in Canada, it's going to be colder flat out than in a lot of areas in the United States. Well, the cooler it is and the drier it is, the longer it's going to take for some of this lime to break down. Part of the reason I'm bringing this up is like on our own farm, we're going to need to seed some more alfalfa in another year or two. Before you get that alfalfa crop out there, like I said earlier in the show, you've got to get the pH up. You should not be seeding alfalfa into ground that's 5.5 or even 6 pH. Because if you do, you're going to lose all kinds of potential income. Get that pH fixed in advance. So even on our farm, we're going to be soil testing again this fall. And if there's stuff we want to plant to alfalfa two years from now, we're going to be putting on more lime this fall. So we're hopefully ready to go. The lime is mostly activated by then and broken down. The pH is up where it needs to be. And we can get off to a great start right away with that alfalfa rather than a mediocre start. That usually means a longer life of the alfalfa stand and more total income for us. All right, let's get back to the phone lines here. Got Dave calling in from Illinois. Hey, Dave, how are you today? Good. How are you? I farm in West Central Illinois. And I have a question about soybeans. Yeah, we good. have a really good-looking crop, except yep. I've got some areas in my field, which are variable soil, where they're uh, a much lighter green, and they do not appear to be growing as tall as the dark green soybeans. I kind of looked online, and I got some directions, but I'm wondering what, what, what direction you would point me in as far as uh, finding out what the cause is. Let's talk about this. When you say variable soil, what what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I've got different types of soil, different types of loam, but uh, it does, doesn't does appear to have any rhyme or reason to the soil types. It's just like, on, for example, on a north-facing hillside, it'll be light green, and then you'll see a couple of spots out in the middle of the flat ground that'll be light green. Mm-hmm. And, and they're definitely not as tall. Okay, so here's our number one suggestion for you. 
I, I would like to see a soil test in, let's call it one of your worst spots, and a soil test in one of your and better when, spots. And when you're pulling those tests, also pull tests for soybean cyst nematode. Yep. So our belief is that you may have cyst nematode or some other problem going on out there. It could also be a nutrient. And like on our farm, this year we've had drought. So I don't know what kind of conditions you've had exactly, but I do know this. Our lighter soil, it's suffering a little bit. And so the crop isn't as tall. We aren't going to get as much yield there. I mean, we, we've got all the fertility out there we know we need, but without rain, that's just kind of the way that it goes sometimes. We're like eight or nine inches behind this year. So, yeah, soil test and, and not just for nutrients. And we want a complete soil test, by the way. So we'd like to see pH, which is our topic today. But then all the primary nutrients, N, P, and K, the micronutrients, base saturation test, salt, sodium, all that kind of stuff. So a complete soil test. And then, like Darren said, if you want to test for soybean cyst nematode. Now, I will say this too. Darren brings up the soybean cyst nematode test. Sometimes you test and it shows low, but you still have nematodes there. So if you do an evaluation of the roots, that may help you. But I've been disappointed that we don't see consistent tests all the time for those uh, for nematodes. So my Darren, best, my yeah, best luck has been my best luck has been during the growing season, yep. right in the row. Yes. So I would go right in through the root mass of the soybean and test that way. That seems to give the best results. But those nematode numbers go up and down throughout the season. They'll go through multiple generations. So sometimes you catch them, sometimes you don't. You said north facing hillsides, you had more issue than than other areas? Uh, in one part of the field, but then that, that didn't seem to hold true. Okay. You know, 500 yards away. just didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. And no rhyme or reason in terms of topography or anything well, else? the other thing that I've seen, Dave, and I guess no. I, I was thinking okay. about this too, is just residue spread. Is it conventional till and, and what was the previous crop? Uh, previous crop was corn and we're no-till. And uh, residue, I think we're getting a pretty good point. Well, I do have some pictures of it if you'd like to see them. Yeah, I was just curious. And you can certainly send them to us, radio at agphd.com. I just was thinking about just which way the wind was out of. And, you know, when you're on the side of a hill, maybe that meant that the, the residue kind of held down on that side of the hill and it got a little thicker or something like that. I, I, I don't think that's the problem, but I, I was just talking to somebody uh, in the last week or so that had had some residue spread issues that I don't know if it was super windy or whatever when they were harvesting and they just had it kind of pile up in spots and uh, didn't, didn't ever really get it to spread back out very well. No, that, that, that we had a really good spread, so that's kind of okay. we had a wet wet spring, and then we dried out for a while. Then we had plenty of rain, so moisture should not be an issue. Okay, I'll send you a picture and I'll do some testing, and I'll definitely let you know what I find. Yeah, All right. appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's tough sometimes when you see those things out in fields, and I, I do agree with you, Brian. My first instinct is, hey, let's go dig some plants up. Uh, let's inspect them a little bit the best we can. Sometimes we see something on the roots or on the stem or, or whatnot, but sometimes it's it's just an unseen problem that a fertility test or a nematode test are going to show you. Yeah, but like this year in our area, a lot of guys thought they had spots like that, and it was drought stress, and it instead was soybean gall midge. I mean, just 
destroying the plants. So without investigation, it, it it's hard to say because there are so many things that it could be. So yeah, I usually am going to go back to there's something wrong in the soil and we could probably find it on a standard soil test, a standard complete soil test. But yeah, just there, 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 there's a lot. All right, let's get back to this lime discussion just real quick and kind of, I guess, my last comments on that. Please make sure you're testing on at least a semi-regular basis. It doesn't have to be every year or even every other year. Soil pH is not going to change that much in one year. But we've had some people say, well, boy, my pH went down a whole point in one year. No, no, it did not. Uh, you're looking at maybe a couple things. Number one, you test in it in a different spot. Number two, it may be, let's call it inconsistent sampling depth. You may be sampling only the top three inches instead of the top six. Uh, there could be a lot of factors that are going on here. And the other thing is when it when there's drought, like we have right now, pretty severe drought, the soil pH may show about a half a point lower than it normally does. So some of those things can happen to you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. 
Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 yield saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 yield saver. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking a little about lime and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got one from David here down in Louisiana, and he said, hey, have you guys had any experience with pelletized lime? And would you be happy to share that? Yep, we sure have. So we like pelletized lime in that it's got a pretty small particle size. It's going to break down fairly quick. The thing that we don't like is it costs a fair amount of money. Now, granted, not everybody's in the situation we are. We have a water treatment plant right next to a bunch of our ground. So we get free water treatment lime. It's hard to beat free, okay? But that water treatment lime, the particle size, extremely small. And by by that, here, let me give you some specifics. So... A lot of times lime is graded on how much is going to go through different mesh screens. A 60 mesh screen, pretty good. When it goes through a 100 mesh screen, you know it's great. Almost all of ours goes through a 100 mesh screen. Okay, so that's, I guess, one of the big things that you're looking for. Anyway, if you are looking at regular ag lime, comparing it to pelletized lime, Oh yeah, the pelletized lime in most cases is going to break down quicker. And the other nice thing about it, because it's pelletized, you can spread it with a regular fertilizer spreader. So on our farm, for example, we have a regular spreader. We also have a floater. So we can put that on ourselves. Whereas the ag lime, water treatment lime, we have to get somebody else to do that because we don't have that kind of machine that will take care of it. The other thing is, when you think about the, the moisture that's in the ag lime and the water treatment lime, the spread pattern is not going to be perfect. You're going to do, uh, I mean, most people are going to do an okay job, but with pelletized lime, you could get a nice even spread and it's pretty easy to put it where you want to put it. Anyway, so yeah, we, we like pelletized lime, just cost is a little high, at least for us, but we definitely use a little bit here and there from time to time. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, get a white mold question here, Brian. And this one comes in from Aaron. He said, I'm sending you a couple of samples here too. I had a lab do some DNA work out there and just see what my odds of having a problem are. And they, they uh, said, yes, I do have a pretty high odds of a white mold problem. This is river bottom ground, 115 acres, and here's something I got going on this year. I planted a 2.8 maturity bean on May 1st. I had to replant about a quarter of the field due to excessive rainfall. I replanted May 25th. I put a 2.5 maturity bean in there. The initial planting is five feet tall, has got more white mold. The late planted beans are four and a half feet tall, just canopied now, and I'm not seeing any white mold in there. Is Yet. it planting date? Is it the tillage that I did to put in those replant beans? Curious on that. And then one other thing just that you might want to know, my manganese levels are pretty good, range anywhere from 61 parts per million to 277 on a Malik 3 test. Uh, just kind of curious uh, what I should shoot for. 
Okay, there are, when we talk about sclerotinia white mold, there are 10 things. Manganese is one of them, but there are nine others that we're usually talking about. So I, I guess, first of all, let's, let's talk why did the one area or the, why did the early planting get it and the late planted hasn't? Well, the late planted still might. The thing is, it's when you reach canopy and when you have the conditions that are going to be right for mushroom growth. So that's really what sclerotinia white mold is. It's mushrooms that get started in your field. So think about it. If you've got, let's call it 30-inch rows, that's what I'm guessing here we have. If you have 30-inch rows and sunlight's hitting those all day long, and we had drier weather this year in June than normal, I mean, you're not going to see a lot of white mold early. It's going to take till you get canopy, till you get some moisture, until you have those conditions that are right for mushrooms to grow. Well, it would have been, it would have come much sooner in the early planted beans as opposed to the late planted beans. So that's pretty simple. The other thing is just the natural tolerance of the variety. That, that I think, is often understated because no company wants to stick their neck out and say, oh, ours is super tolerant, our bean's super tolerant to white mold because no bean is resistant to white mold. But what we do find is there's a big difference in tolerance levels from one variety to the next. So the variety could have made a difference as well. So other things we talk about, it almost never includes, in fact, I would say it does never include tillage. So the things we do talk about to take care of your white mold problem include things like adding contans, preferably in the fall. That's a fungus that will literally eat the sclerotia that start white mold. Uh, we talk an awful lot about spraying early in the season with things like, and this is something we like doing on our farm, uh, a, a PPO so and a group 15 to shorten the beans just a little bit. So I like Warrant Ultra. A lot of people like Anthem Max. It's not labeled or anything like that. I just, we, we notice we see a little bit less white mold when we do that. A really big thing is spraying Cobra, usually mid-June, right before flowering. Um, that will be almost as good as Endura, which we also would recommend at R1. Endura is very expensive, like $45 an acre, but it's also amazing. So we do that in our white mold spots every year. Then I'd come back with another shot of fungicide about three weeks later and another shot about three weeks after that. So there are many other things you can do. And yes, manganese is a component. So we want to make sure our manganese levels are good, but that's only one component. And anytime your beans are going to be five feet tall, that's usually what happens on our farm too. And sometimes we get them taller than that. Um, you are much more prone to have white mold, especially if you've fertilized well. And I mean, you've done everything to make those beans great. That's why three shots of fungicide plus Cobra earlier. So I really call Cobra a fourth shot. So you have four applications and you might go, oh my gosh, you're crazy. I don't want to spend the money on four shots, but think about it for just a second. What are we spending? Cobra is five bucks. Sure, the Endura is 45, and then our other two shots of fungicide will probably spend, let's call it 15 each. So in all, we got $80 plus the, the, plus the trip. Okay, so let's just say, for example, it's $100, all right, roughly. If beans were worth, for very, very simple math here, $10, that'd be 10 bushels. They've been worth more than that for a few years now, so that's great. But anyway, where I'm going with this is, on our farm, 
our white mold spots, we've lost as much as 90 bushels to the acre. And it's very common for us to lose 10 to 20 bushels in the white mold spots. So we just treat the spots. It's 10% of our acres. Maybe if depending on which fields are in beans that year, it might be 15 or 20%. So what I'm saying is we're not treating everything with all those shots of fungicide, but I would look historically at where have you, you've had white mold and at least treat those spots. Invest the money there. So then it's not so many total dollars, and usually that will pay if you're in an area that gets white mold quite often, like we do. Hey, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Got this one that came in from Adam. He's over in Iowa. He said, guys, I was listening to your show while I was driving, so I couldn't write everything down. Brian was talking about your soybean herbicide program. I found your three pre-products on your website, uh, but I'm wondering your post-passes. What are you throwing in for residuals there? I heard Flexstar mentioned as one of them, but just kind of curious. What I've been doing, I'm using Enlist Soybeans. I usually stick with Liberty post-emerge, uh, using some different things pre. Uh, on the three pat. Over these passes, I like to get as many modes of action as I can, and uh, I'm trying to th keep a minimum of three modes of action on both corn and soybeans to avoid resistance. Okay, best thing you can do, yeah, you start with the three pre's, and again, that's a yellow, metribuzin, and then either authority or valor. Then you come early post with something like Warrant Ultra or Anthem Max. Warrant Ultra, Anthem Max. And the reason why I, I say those two products, and there are others that would be somewhat similar, like Prefix, for example, from Syngenta, but Warrant Ultra and Anthem Max are my two favorites. You combine a Group 15, so you get lots of residual with that, with a PPO, so you get residual and, and burn down. Okay, so Warrant Ultra has Warrant. That'd be just like Harness, only without the corn safener and a little watered down. Uh, warrant and Flexstar. And Anthemax would be the active ingredients from Zidua, the Group 15, and Cadet. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk more about Lyme right after this. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. 
And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a John Deere compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and our topic today has been lime. And one of the things that you've probably picked up on already is things can vary depending on what crop you're going into, what type of soil you're after, what lime sources are available, and so forth. And uh, I love talking to to folks who have been in this industry for a long time, and especially when they've worked with so many different operations, it's really helpful to learn from them. Got our friend Bo Shropshire on right now. He's out in California. And Bo actually rode out a South Dakota blizzard with me this winter and, and hung out right here in South Dakota through that. Bo, uh, it was fun this winter uh, dealing with all that snow. And we had a captive audience, right? We got to talk a lot about things like Lyme. We had a tremendous captive audience. And, and I don't know what it is about uh, natural disasters, because uh, we've just come through this, uh, you know, Hillary, Hurricane Hillary down here in, in Imperial Valley. We got about anywhere from two to four inches of rain in different parts of the valley, which that's our annual rainfall, okay? So two, two to two and a half inches is our rain, annual rainfall here, and we got it in about tw- 24 to 30 hours, you know? Woo! Yeah, that's quite a quite a deal. I saw a lot of pictures already. Uh, is there devastation associated with that right where you're at, or or not too bad? Well, it's not too bad here. We've we've had some flooding in places, and and uh, I may be able to get down out to a paved road tomorrow. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's a, ch- a little bit of a challenge. And then the road between here and San Diego, there's been a bunch of boulders and stuff slide off the mountains and that kind of stuff, and along with the flooding that we had on the west side of the valley. But, yeah, I don't know what it is about you guys. It just, just brings those natural disasters. <laughs> okay, well, maybe maybe those boulders that are coming down are full of limestone. That might not be all bad if you that's, could bust that up and spread that's it out. A, that's a possibility. You bet. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you face low pH soils in your area a lot? No, we don't have any low pH soils. Most of our pHs, the lowest I have is about 7.9. A lot of it's 8.2, 8.3, 8.4. Yeah, so, and, and of course, the deal is, you know, we're using uh, quite a bit of lime because, 
you know, we, we don't really, you know, we pay attention to that pH just to understand where our minor elements may be available. But the deal is, is getting those base saturation percentages correct to make the soil mechanics work properly. You know, that is interesting. Just uh, you think, okay, well, low pH and I'm adding this calcium source, but high pH, you still could be out of balance and short of calcium. What are the calcium levels in, in that soil that you've got? Well, we're, we're anywhere from about uh, 50, 52% um, in the heavier soils. And we get up on, now we get up on the edge of the valley because we're kind of set in a bowl. We get up towards the edge of the valley where the old prehistoric water line is. We actually have calcium levels up there in the, in the low 70s. Okay. So you, you got you to gotta sample. Like you, like you guys talk all the time and preach all the time. You got to sample and sample different parts of the field to know what you've got. You know, whether it's a zone map or a grid map or whatever, you know, sample those fields. All right. Now, you talked about micronutrient availability and just nutrient availability in general. And we know that that can be heavily influenced by factors going on in the soil. So if you've got a soil that's a little short in calcium, you may not have as much pore space out in that soil, but you've also got a real high pH that could tie things up. What do you do in those soils? I mean, you're obviously not going to change that overnight. How, how do you manage that to keep nutrients available available for some of your high dollar crops? Well, what you wind up doing is you, you'll, t- you know, you, you're taking tissue or petiole samples. And if you're having a problem with something, you hit it with a foliar, you know, because we've normally got enough insects down here with with our high temperatures that we're probably putting on something to protect the crop to begin with. So get some minor elements in there, you know, if it's zinc, if it's copper, if it's, you know, even coming in with some potassium foliar, you know, that just that's just the way to do it. I mean, that's the best way to do it. And I've had some situations where I've had uh, calcium levels at about 55%, mag levels at 30%, sodium levels at about 11 to 12%, and just like a percent and a half of potassium, well, you know, and a pH is 8.2, and and put on four tons of lime, and watch the pH go down to 7.9 in 12 months, <laughs> and people yep. go, what? The, how 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 does that work? You know, and so you know, well, that that sodium went from 11 something down to five and a half, so that's one big reason why the pH went down because. You know, sodium drives that pH number probably harder than anything else. But, yeah, so that's kind of what we do. And, and uh, you know, we'll use combinations of both lime and gypsum, depending on, on what our sulfur levels and stuff are. Normally, we got, you know, so much sulfur because we don't have great water penetration because of those heavier soils until we get our calcium levels up. So we've normally got, you know, a couple hundred pounds of, uh, our parts are million down here. A lot of times, I was just looking at a sample this morning. It's about 280 parts per million of sulfur, which is you know way plenty. But um, I may wind up going ahead and putting on a ton of, gy- of gypsum with about two and a quarter tons of lime to get my get my calcium percentages up properly. You know that sulfur piece in there is kind of interesting too. A lot of folks talk about that as. 
uh, having an influence on pH. And when you think about those big nutrients like magnesium and sodium that are pushing the pH up, having some sodium in the mix, uh, I would assume gets to be pretty popular for a lot of your guys. Or I'm sorry, some sulfur, I should say, gets to be pretty popular for a lot of your guys. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing is that where, that, where it really comes into is we've got a fair amount of Bermuda grass we grow down here for hay. Uh, for feeding cattle in the Middle East and and uh, horses in the, in Texas, is if you get that sulfur level right, you know your animals love that hay. If it's not right, they don't like it. It doesn't taste right. You know, so it's one of those kind of deals. If you go out and taste it yourself and it tastes okay, it's probably okay for the animals. But if it tastes a little bit bitter to you, it's probably going to be bitter to them, and they're not going to like it as much. And and I've proved that on my own horses. Uh, with sulfur, uh, especially on Bermuda grass, go out. I know if I know a field that has good levels, and I know a field that has terrible levels. And I go get a bale of Bermuda grass hay from each one of those, and throw a, a flake out there of each, and they'll eat that. You know, uh, the the better sulfur levels on that uh, on that flake that's that's okay. But on the stuff on the flake that doesn't have as much sulfur on it, they'll leave that until they just absolutely have to eat it. Just like we would. <laughs> we, we would uh, eat the ice cream first, Bo, and uh, leave all those uh, broccoli and whatever vegetables. No no offense, broccoli producers, but uh, leave leave all those vegetables exactly. to the side. <laughs> yeah, if they, if they would dip that broccoli in chocolate, it would be a little better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or cheese or something. I mean, just anything or to cheese. improve it. There you go. Yeah. All right, uh, we're talking with Bo Shropshire out in California, who's bunkered down due to Hurricane Hillary out there. Bo, we got about one more minute. Uh, anything else on your mind that you want to share today? I know well, that's a I dangerous the, question. The, uh, yeah, that's a dangerous <laughs> question, there. I think probably the, the one thing that I'd like to share with everybody is I don't care what your source is. You find a source of calcium, whether it's gypsum or lime or whatever, but please, by all means, sample that material because you never know what the percentage of calcium is in it or what the particle size in it unless you test it. Yeah, that's great advice. And we, we heard today, uh, well, we started off, we had Kevin Matthews on over in North Carolina, and he said the lime source close to his home was hurting things. He got lime from four hours away, and he said didn't want to pay the trucking, but, man, all of a sudden everything just started working so much better. There is so much difference in sources of calcium out there. Uh, great tips there, Bo. Thank you so much. Great to hear your voice again. Always having a good time. We, we love chatting with you. That's awesome. I love working with you guys, too. All right, we're talking live on today's program, and uh, I know we've had a few questions come in on email we didn't get back to. If you've got questions for us, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. If you got a question for Bo, you can email us, too. We'll be happy to forward that on. Uh you know, on our farm, Brandon mentioned that we've got access to water treatment plant lime, and, and we do get samples sent to us from all over. Some of them look better than others. So, again, back to Bo's uh, advice there. Test that source. See what's in there. See see how good it is. For us, the source that we've got, it's, it's so fine, and we're seeing really quick action out in the field. It, it makes a lot of difference on our farm. Well, thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.